Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avino Malkinu, our Father, our King. Uh, thank you once again, Lord, for bringing us together so that we can study the words of your book, of your uh, uh, instructions, of, of, of your authoritative way of, of, of teaching humanity about what is right and what is wrong, about how to become righteous, about how to avoid sin, about uh, how to um, walk spiritually. Lord, the, the Bible is more than just an instruction book, but, but beyond those things, it, it is an instruction book, and it's so important for us to return to that, that simple concept over and over. Uh, it's too bad that many people, Lord, believers included, simply uh, keep the Bible on the shelf. It collects dust, and they turn to it every now and then when they need some sense of inspiration, when they need to maybe play a Bible roulette, uh, you know, let the Bible drop over and drop open and, and randomly look at a verse and see if it if it inspires them today. Lord, that's not the way you uh, envisioned your word to um, instruct us and to motivate us and to empower us and to change our lives. Uh, may we not be those types of um, uh, people, Lord. Help us to press in. Help us to to hide your words in our heart. Help us to to seek to understand its instructions and help us to to uh, uh, realize that the words are alive by the power of the Spirit. They are activated by the agent agency of the Holy Spirit within us to help us to see and to understand and to walk according to the ways of our Master Yeshua, the Messiah. Thank you for this time that I. Uh, been given to share with the students. I pray that you'll bless each and every one who's joined me in the live Skype class tonight. I pray that you'll be with those who weren't able to make it into the live class but are uh, listening by way of the audio uh, recording. Um, continue to raise us up as families, as as individuals uh, bearing your name and uh, bringing this gospel message uh, to this very dark world. Lord, we, we will be careful to praise you for all of these wonderful things. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining me for this study of the book of Galatians. Uh, my name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm your host, your, um, the person who brings you these live Skype teachings each week. And uh, today is February the 10th, 2018, and we're going to be studying through uh, week number 91 in our Galatians study. As I mentioned uh, last week or the week before, so we're nearing the end of the study, and that means that um, those of you who are listening and are subscribed to the Galatians newsletter, specifically for the purpose of following through the Galatians notes, within the next few weeks, 
I envision probably two or three weeks. I think I'll be finished with the end of the study, and I'm going to have to rename the newsletter and give you the option of either um, opting out of the newsletter since it won't be Galatians study anymore. It'll be something else. Or you can stay in as I just rename it. Uh, I'll give you that option. I'll just, so watch your emails carefully over the next few weeks. I'll probably be sending out some sort of um, survey. Uh, I'm interested in hearing what you, my uh, listeners and readers over the years, uh, what you're interested in studying. I have some ideas myself. And I've been praying about what direction I should go next or if I should even continue teaching these live studies each Saturday night. I'm delighted to bring them to you. So I, I believe the Lord has laid it on my heart to continue. I believe that's the direction that he wants me to go. But um, I leave the final decision to him as I'm praying about that. And I'll let you know by way of email. So watch your emails. Um... Let's jump right into our liturgy, and I don't have a lot. I always mention this, and many times I go over, but uh, I, I actually do try to stick to the hour. Uh, we meet for an hour each week, each Saturday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And if we do continue to do these studies, which I'm praying that we will, and I'm expecting that we will, I'm anticipating that we will, then uh, I'm just going to keep the same time slot as far as I know this works for me. If it works for you, it works for me, it works for most people involved. Um, Perhaps we'll get some more live students that are able to join us via Skype if I continue along this line. So um, we meet Saturday nights for, for most of you in the world from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we meet for about an hour. And then after each class, we have a live chat session where we open up the microphones. I don't record the session and upload it anywhere at iTunes or my website or anything. And it's a time for me and the students to just kind of chat with one another, banter questions back and forth with one another. So if that's if you're interested in doing that, you're certainly invited to come on out to, and join us in the live chat, which takes place after each hour-long study. Okay? All right, without further ado, let's look at the liturgy that we're using for the final few verses in the book of Galatians chapter 6, which uh, kind of boils down to this topic of circumcision once again. Paul takes his last few um, spaces in his letter and dedicates them to one of the central theological uh, uh, didactic points, well, it's not really didactic, I suppose it's more polemical, uh, his letter, um, but uh, taking kind of parting shots at the theology of his detractors, and that is uh, his uh, take on circumcision as opposed to their take on circumcision. So for that reason, we're parked in Genesis chapter 17, which introduces the, the covenant of circumcision, the Brit Milah that we read about in the Torah, and uh, that's where our liturgy is. So looking at the screen, for those of you who are with me in a live class, I've got Genesis 17 pulled up. And you can see we're going to start in verse 8 like we always do. I'm sorry, sorry uh, start in verse 9 like we always do. And just go down to verse, I think it's 14. It's just those that, those, that short section. English reads, of course, this is once again the 1917 JPS version of the Bible. Verse 9, And God said unto Abraham, And as far as, as for thee, Thou shalt keep my covenant, thou and thy seed after thee throughout their generations. Verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of a covenant betwixt me and you. Verse 12, and he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every male throughout your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any foreigner that is not of thy seed. Verse 13, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant 
shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the final verse, 14, And the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Going back, looking at the Hebrew, starting in verse 9, Vayomer Elohim el Abraham, Vaata et briti tishmorata, Zaracha achrecha ladoratam. Verse 10, Zot briti asher tishmuru, Beni uvenechem, Uven zaracha achrecha, Himol lachem kol zachar. Verse 11, U maltem eight basar orlatchem, Vahaya laot brit beni uvenechem. Verse 12, Uven shmonat yabin, Imol lachem kol zachar ladorotechem. Yelid bayit umichnat kesef mecho ben nechor asher lo nizara chahu. Verse 13. Himol yimol yelid betaka umichnat kaspacha vahaita briti bivsarachem livrit olam. And the final one, verse 14. Vaarel zachar asher lo yimol et basar orlato vanichata. Hanefesh hahi mea meya et brito hefar. And that will be, I'm sorry, a briti hefar. And that will be the end of our liturgy for the uh, Tanakh. Let's turn to the Apostolic Scriptures, the uh, New Testament, book of uh, Galatians, chapter 6. And we're going to read the last few verses, uh, the section, the final warning and benediction as the ESV breaks it down. Starting in verse 11, we'll stop at verse 15 like we've been doing. And then next week, we'll actually pick up verse 16, 17, and 18 in this last section. Since um, tonight we're going to study verses 14 and 15, those two verses. And then next week uh, and the week after, I think, probably it'll take me two weeks to explain verse 16, which is the final verse in my commentary. Galatians 6, 11 through 15, ESV reads, verse 11, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing of the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Verse 13, for the, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 14, and these are the, this is one of the ones we're going to look at tonight. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And then verse 15, the one we're going to look at also. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And let's stop there with the English reading. Let's turn now to the Greek. Um, <clears throat> we're going to use the uh, SBLGNT version that I'm fond of using. This is uh, inter, uh, BibleHub.com's website that we're using. So let's scroll down to verse 11. All right. And we're going to be reading the black part right there in the middle of the Greek, starting right there. Uh, verse 11 of, of this version of the Greek reads, Idete pelikois humen gramasin grapsa te eme Cheri, verse 12, Hasoi thelusin uprasopesai in sarki hutoi anakatsusin humas peratimnesthai manan hina to staro tu Christu Yesu me di okuntai. Verse 13, Ude gar hoi peratimnamenoi autoi manan, I'm sorry, uh, naman fulasusin ala thelusin Humas peratimnestai, hina in te humatera, sarki kaukesantai. 
verse 14. And then the final one, verse 15. Okay, that'll be our Greek liturgy for tonight. Last week we talked about this concept of um, looking at verse... Um, Oops, I'm sorry. Before I get into the overview of what we talked about last week, sewing it into this week's commentary, I need to explain just briefly, real quick, for those of you who follow my study along, uh, who follow my study on the on my website. Give me like three minutes, five minutes to do this real quick. I've made some changes to my website as it pertains to the Galatian study to try and make it a little bit easier for those of you to study along with the commentary, um, knowing that I have a written version as well as the audio. Uh, lessons that I'm recording each week that get uploaded via iTunes and things like that. What I did is uh, I used to have basically all of the studies um, uh, were available basically at all of the audio and written notes were available um, were referenced from the Exegeting Galatians table of contents page that you, if you click on my website at tatesaytor.com and click on the uh, Galatians commentary link at the top of the page it'll bring you to the main page for the study Exegeting Galatians where you can find the PDF and uh, the um, uh, the web versions you know the HTML versions of the study in the table of contents section and then uh, it used to be that if you wanted to find the audio sections you had to scroll down to the bottom of this page and it would reference basically a, a, a blog which is connected to my iTunes podcast in the iTunes page and the nature of, of every blog typically is that it'll uh, always display the latest blog first. And then if you want to find the earlier blogs, the older blogs, you have to scroll down through kind of like a, almost like an, a kind of an archival fashion. Scroll down to the bottom of the page, keep clicking older, older, older. Well, that made it difficult for some people to find the earlier commentaries, the earlier audio portions that link to the written notes. So what I did instead is I, I did two things to make it easier for you to follow along with the written and the audio together. Firstly, what I did is I took all of the audio sections, and if, you, if you're on the table of contents page, the main Galatians, exegeting Galatians page, if you scroll to the bottom of that page now, I simply gathered all of the archive blog audio portions into one section right on that page, and they're dated by the... Uh, they start with the oldest and work their way to the newest. In other words, from top to bottom, they're um, they're ordered according to the earliest ones, which is study number one, week number one, that we started way back in October of 2015. And that, and then you can scroll down and and go all the way down to week number 90, which was last week, uh, which was in February of this year, as you can see. And this is an easier way to just reference whichever. Um, audio portion you want to go if you're interested in audio only if that's the kind of the way you study you can jump right into the blog page so if I just click on any link it'll take me straight into the uh, blog page of that audio recording and from there I can see the topic and there will be an audio uh, file there that you can click on. You can download it if you want, but otherwise it'll play right in your browser right there. You can scrub back and forth, you know, forward and go forward and backwards and listen to it that way. 
So that's one way of accessing just the audio portion itself. Um, however, that's the that's the blog section. If you if you're more interested in following the written notes, if you're a reader, and you you're interested in seeing how the written notes correspond to the audio section, then go back to the uh, Galatians commentary uh, uh, table of contents page, the main page. And if when you when you scroll down, and you look at the table of contents, you'll notice that there's uh, hot links for each section. So what you can do is, for instance, I'll just click on the preface one. If you click on that, it takes you to the uh, what I call the, the HTML version, the web version of the commentary, meaning it's not meaning it's not a, a PDF document or Mobi version or something like that, like you might read on a Amazon reader or something like that, your your Kindle reader. This is just a web version, like if you're browsing on a phone or you're using a tablet or if you're just using a computer. So it's the web version. You scroll up and down on that page. You can you can you can read the commentary that way online. But what I added to this page, this is the part that's new, is at the top of this of the of each web version, you'll find the corresponding audio questions linked right here. And uh, and they're not in blog fashion, so um, you can just see all of the audio sections right there above each written section now. And these are the audio sections that correspond. And the uh, the topic name is uh, keyed to the audio section now. So it's a little easier for you to kind of just click here. And uh, for me, I like to click on the audio, and then while the audio is playing, I scroll down to the page and kind of follow along in the written notes as the reader is reading as the audio is playing because that's it's kind of an, an ex, you know an expanded audio book is what it is anyway so uh, and then when you get down to the end of each section there's a link that either takes you to the next topic in the study like next would be introduction or a button that will return you to the table of contents page uh, if that's what you want to do. So I hope that's a little easier for those those of you who are following my study. Uh, you can, like I said, just follow the written notes along with the audio, and it's a little easier that way. Um, just a word of warning, some of the sections uh, that we studied have a lot of audio to them, so uh, when, you, when you hit the page, you might have to scroll down a lot just to reach the written notes. For instance, uh, when we started talking about circumcision, uh, it started to getting lengthy. Let's see, for instance, works of the law. Part one. Let me just use this maybe as an example. Yeah, look at that. There's like 13, I think, different. If you're following along with him live class, you can see this on your screen. There's like 13, I think, or so different audio portions that are all uh, tagged to the uh, the written section there. All right. Hope that's helpful for those of you who are following along with the study in other ways. Okay. As always, if you have questions, just uh, send me an email, and I'll certainly be willing to help you sort something out. All right. Let's get rid of that. Turn to the study today. Uh, we are on page 180 of the study. I made a slight uh, revision to the written notes. I took the excursus heading and um, uh, nested it within the first chapter of chapter one now. So if you have the written notes and you, and you downloaded them, perhaps maybe your pages shifted one page difference now. So I'm on page 180. But if you have the written notes and you printed them out before, say, uh, this week, then you, because I made this update just this week, then um, perhaps maybe you might be looking at a different page than I'm on right now. I apologize, but uh, I have to make changes as I feel necessary. We're at the uh, top of page 180, and we're going to talk about um, 
I'm sorry, not the top of page 180. Let's start at the top of page 179 with uh, Galatians 6.14, and then we'll look at 15 as well. Last week, we talked about how that in Galatians uh, 6.13, how that um, Paul thinks that his detractors, the people who are trying to influence his Galatian membership, so I'm calling them the influencers, he thinks that they are not even keeping the Torah. He lays this charge against them in verse 13. Not even those being circumcised themselves keep the law. And we've talked about how that this verse is a little ambiguous. He could be referring to the uh, influencers, the Judaizers. He could be referring to the Gentiles who themselves are taking on physical circumcision. Um, could be referring to both. It's more natural. Most commentators agree, and I agree with them, um, based on the fact that uh, it's the same pronoun as they, the desire to, to um, boast in your flesh. I think that Paul's referring to the, um, the, uh, his opponents, the, you know, the, the, you know, the people who snuck into his congregations and were posing as members in order to spy out the freedom that these Gentiles had in Messiah. He talks about that in, in chapter 2 of his letter. And so we looked at that last week, and we, we saw how that there's possibly a, um, uh, uh, a few different ways that, that Paul could be uh, defining this, the sense of that they're not keeping the law. Um, I believe that it refers to at least two ways uh, predominantly, um, the, they, they don't walk in the law of love towards their neighbor, which would include their Gentile, the, the Gentile members of Israel that, that Paul recognizes are genuine members of Israel, even as Gentiles, the, the, the Judaizers, those who believe that the membership in Israel is kind of reserved for Jews only, uh, they would be, re- they would kind of be uh, uh, in a position where they're rejecting Gentile uh, ethnicity. So that would, of course, be love. That would be a failure to walk in the principle of love your neighbor. Um, in other words, to them, love your neighbor as yourself meant love your Jewish neighbor, essentially. But the other way that they would be failing to obey Torah, in my opinion, is that they failed to uh, really uh, have a genuine uh, trust in Messiah. And I think Paul can see through their... their um, he can see through their charade of opposing his believers. To be sure, he he says that people who would preach this message of a of a um, of an ethnic-driven membership into Israel or this and anyone who would preach another gospel should be accursed. And I don't think that Paul would call another believer accursed. Anathema would be the Greek word. I don't think he would label that against another believer. Um, in other words, by very definition, someone who's preaching another gospel is, is an unbeliever in Paul's view. Therefore, since these uh, uh, teachers, these false teachers are teaching another gospel, another way to be counted as righteous before God, then that would disqualify their label of, of believer. They, would, they really wouldn't be qualified as that. And I think then that in that regards that they fall under the curse of the law uh, because they have failed to uh, acquire or gravitate, graduate to the uh, central stem of the Torah, the central, the heart of the Torah, which is, is faith in Messiah himself. And so in that re- in regards, they don't keep the law. There may be other things that they don't do to keep the law. Perhaps their law-keeping is, is uh, maybe they're just simply hypocritical. Paul has seen them uh, breaking the law. I don't know. But that was where we looked at uh Last week, verse 13, now we're going to move into verse 14, which picks up, verse 14 and 15 kind of continue the same theme about how that, in verse 13, these same people are boasting about their flesh. 
if they're Jews boasting over the Gentiles, then perhaps they're boasting in their superiority as Jews. In other words, they're boasting in the superiority of their, gen- of their Jewish heritage or the Jewish ethnicity over Gentile heritage. Uh, that could be the boasting. That's it's. There's a strong candidate for that being the case, given the nature of the tone of Paul's polemic letter here, and how that the many of the first century Jews of his day held to a common uh, belief that uh, Israel was a Jewish only group. That that membership into Israel uh, entailed uh, Jewish ethnicity first and foremost, and that's why circumcision was used so predominantly in the, in the first century in Paul's day. And so this boasting that Paul talks about, we looked last week how that um, in Romans chapter 2, Paul also talks about this boasting. Jews boast in God. They boast in the law. We looked at Romans two seventeen through 19. And in that passage, there's at least three things that Jews boast about. They, they boast in their Jewishness, right? They rely on the God. They, bo- they, they rely on the law. They call themselves Jews. They boast in God. They boast in the law, Paul specifically says. But um, in their boasting, they end up dishonoring God. And Paul even says that they break the law there. It's interesting that in, in Romans, he uses that same charge of violation of Torah. And he's, and he's a Jew, and he's pointing his, his finger at other Jews. He's saying, I'm calling you out. You guys aren't even following it. Now, again, I don't think this is simply a matter of I'm more Torah observant than you. Right? It's not that, hey, there's 613 commandments and I keep more of them than you. It's not, I, I don't think that that's what Paul means when he says that they're breaking the law. Um, that would, that would just be another boasting, uh, match all over again. Hey, look at me. How many commandments did you keep this week? Oh, you only kept 15? Well, ha ha. Uh, I kept 20 this week. You know, that's not really what Paul means when he's talking about this boasting contest among Jews over how many of God's 613 laws a Jew can keep in any given week. And they meet each Sabbath day to discuss how many laws did they keep. That's not what he means by the boasting at all. What I think he's talking about is this whole uh, ideological program of of that we're Jews, we're the only ones who have received the law, the law was given to Jews exclusively, therefore essentially God is our God alone. And if anyone else wishes to approach God and to, uh, to participate in the blessings that we find in the Torah, then... Uh, there are certain restrictions or certain um, boundaries that have to be crossed in order to to join this kind of members-only club, this Jewish members-only club. That's the boasting, I think, that Paul's talking about. And it's within that context, uh, of course, that Paul's um, going to be writing the letter to Galatians and explaining to the Gentile Galatians that uh, in order to join this members-only club called Israel, you don't have to undergo this change in your status because of some deficiency that is in your status as, as ethnic Gentiles. So there's this boasting going on. And it's with that <clears throat> that Paul explains in verse 14 as we pick up my commentary now, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, why would Paul um, highlight this fact uh, as over and against the boasting that his fellow countrymen were fond of doing? Why would Paul not, for instance, boast himself about being a Jew or boast himself about keeping the law or boast himself about um, having access to God himself? Why wouldn't he also boast? I mean, he had a right to. He was a Jew. He was circumcised in the eighth day. Uh, he was a, of the tribe of Benjamin, right? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. We know we read about these qualifications that he 
talks about himself in, in another one of his letters. I think it's the book of Philippians. But um, it, it, here's what I have to say in my commentary. And I, I wrote, I, I brought this verse into my commentary because it's it's common to find in Christian standard Christian commentaries and to hear this in Christian sermons that Paul minimized his Jewishness once he became a believer. Paul himself didn't really even think of himself as a Jew anymore. He didn't have to focus on the external Jewish ethnicity that he was born with. He didn't really care about his circumcision anymore, and he certainly didn't focus on Torah observance anymore. He basically led his life as a Christian, which for unfortunately for 21st century uh, application whenever we describe Paul as just living as a Christian unfortunately the the default uh, viewpoint that's presented uh, in today's sermons and in today's Christian commentaries when I say that when I use the word default un, and I use the word unfortunately is basically it describes a Gentile from the Jewish perspective so that um, if you see a Jew who's a believer who still um, highlighting some of the cultural aspects of his being a Jew as his you know in other words he he still uh, uh carries some of his the culture and heritage that he, he has as a as a as an ethnic Jew uh you know his mom his parents are Jewish and he was raised in a Jewish home or whatever maybe he was raised in a an observant Jewish home and he, so even though he comes to faith in Messiah you see him still wearing a yarmulke a kippah um and you see him still wearing a talit or tzitzit and you still see hear about him you maybe a, a fellow Christian, as a, a, another church member, you hear about this this ethnic Jew um, uh, still tries to keep kosher, separating his his, his diet. Uh, you know, you still hear about him observing Sabbath, and 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 then you begin to wonder, well, aren't you a Christian? What's the big deal? Why don't you just why don't you abandon all of that? And you use the word Jewishness, right? Why don't you abandon all of that? Because look at Paul. He said, far, far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, by which the world, which many people interpret meaning his Jewish world as, as well, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, I don't care. They would they would put words in Paul's mouth. I don't care about showing myself to be Jewish anymore. I don't need to carry all of that external baggage anymore. I'm a Christian, and what matters to me most now is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want people to see first and foremost is not my Jewishness, but my Jesusness. Right? I'm coining a new word there: Jewishness, Jesusness. Okay, so that's kind of the setting that this verse is set in, uh, that it's, it's cast in for most people when they approach it. And here's why I wrote my short little one-paragraph uh, comment. Here's what I have to say. In stark contrast to boasting about one's ethnic status as a Jew, Paul proudly confesses that he will never boast about anything save his trusting faithfulness in the cross of his Lord Yeshua. This does not mean that he considers Jewish identity worthless. This is why I wrote this part of the commentary. Paul doesn't consider Jewish identity worthless. Rather, he knows rather that he knows how to prioritize what is most important against those details that are of lesser importance that's really i think what he means when he says far be it for me to boast we in the current messianic slash torah movement could stand or learn a lot from paul's example sadly all too often i go on to say in my notes here we are found to be quibbling about the ethnic identity of this person and the ethnic identity of that person but what we should be focusing on is the identity of the man, capital N, capital M, of the man from Galilee 
and how his righteousness, his righteousness, has graciously paid the price for our sin. Omain. So, in other words, just briefly, what I'm trying to say is I don't think that Paul is trying to say that he doesn't care about being Jewish anymore. To be sure, later on, if we were to go look at that same passage in Romans chapter 2 and keep reading into the next chapter, he actually talks about that that there is an advantage to being a uh, Jewish. There is an advantage to being circumcised physically. In other words, uh, Jewish ethnicity carries some advantages to it. And this was written post-resurrection, so obviously Paul can't be describing uh, some type of... Um, advantages that existed only before he came to Messiah, and then that now that he comes to Messiah, everything else is just rubbish. That can't be the case. So I think what Paul's just simply trying to challenge us is to prioritize. And this is helpful for us because we're going to look at this in, the, in my next uh, comment here. We will look at uh, um, um, 1 Corinthians 7.19 where he talks about circumcision. So let's keep going in my commentary and we'll see how this is found. Again, the the the, the many of the ethnic Jews of Paul's day were boasting and they were elevating their ethnic status, their position in Israel as ethnic Jews, to the exclusion of Gentiles. That's the point of contention that Paul is going to have with his contemporaries. Jewish ethnicity should not be elevated to the point of excluding all other uh, heritages and ethnicities and people group status and things like that. Jewish identity is important in God's economy and in God's plans and the scope of the eschatological uh, plan of God that's unfolding before us. But it's not the end-all, be-all ethnicity that everyone should be clamoring for. It's not the the um, it's not the ingredient of life. You know your Jewish ethnicity. It's not the that single most uh, important ingredient that's going to tip the scales in your favor in God's uh, courtroom is what I'm trying to say. So let's keep reading my commentary. Now it's from the boasting about one's Jewish ethnicity. Uh, of course, read here is as circumcision, right? Boasting about circumcision, boasting in the flesh, boasting in our 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 birth status or a status that we as Gentiles took on as a proselyte Jew, something like that. The boasting in this in this flesh, it's boasting in our circumcision. It's within that context that we move now into verse 15, where Paul once again has to put within the context of the scope of salvation history. How does Jewishness fit in with non-Jewishness? How do Jews and Gentiles relate to one another? And it's interesting that um, we could go the other direction. You know, in the first century, um, many of the Judaisms of Paul's day elevated their ethnicity uh, higher than it should have been. Right? They elevated and 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 highlighted their 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 Jewishness, their circumcision, their position as as receiving the Torah as Israelites, things like that. All of that was elevated in the first century, uh, and the Gentile ethnicities were downplayed. They were kind of looked down upon, and things like that. But yet now, in today's 21st century um, uh, Christian circles, uh, and we've seen this kind of throughout the history of, of, of Christianity as a heritage itself, as a heritage religion, um, as a Gentile religion, uh, it seems to have kind of swung in the opposite direction, um, where it's not uncommon to find Gentiles elevating their own ethnicity now above Jewish ethnicity. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes you'll find many Gentiles who will kind of brag about the fact that we're not Jews. We're not Jews. We don't have to keep the Torah. That's for Jews only. It's a Jewish-only document. No, no, no. Don't try to bring me back under the law. I'm not a Jew. I don't have to get circumcised. I don't have to keep kosher. I don't have to follow those those 
um, uh, uh, antiquated uh, Jewish uh uh, you know, ways of walking. That's that's the old way. That's an old dispensation. I'm not a Jew. Don't try to label me as a Jew. And so I, it's kind of kind of an odd thing that we have this kind of a a Gentile boasting now that takes place in some Christian circles. And you know, if I understand Paul correctly, he would not, he would not, um, he would not uh, uh, champion that program either. He would not support that position either. He would disagree with that. And I think that we can see that right here in this verse. Let's read. Uh, Galatians 6.15 For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Aha, there we have it. Now, um, that's the ESV's rendering. If we take these terms, circumcision and uncircumcision, and plug in the um, religious term that was probably present in Paul's day, in other words, removed from the mere soci- sociological meaning of a of a of a, a physical uh, offspring of Jacob being the circumcised and the non-physical offspring of Jacob being the uncircumcised, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, we turn those into kind of religious terms now for Jew and Gentile. Uh, for neither the Jews being Jewish counts for anything, nor not being Jewish, in other words, Gentile counts, but what does count is a new creation. I think that's a better way to understand the passage. Paul's uh, not referring just to physical circumcision in verse 15. He's actually highlighting the this whole ideology again within the first century worldview that there were two types of people groups in the world. There were basically Jews and non-Jews. And the Jews were referred to as the circumcision, right? Kind of a... Uh, um, uh, proper noun with that word circumcision and the uh, other groups that those who were not circumcised were just the uncircumcision and uh, so in that sense Paul's saying that your Jewish identity shouldn't be a point of boasting right to tie it into the previous two verses and to tie it back into Romans chapter 2 you Jews who see yourselves as Jews who recognize that your heritage and ethnicity is tied to uh, the family clan of Jacob from a um, from a parental point of view, right? Your parents were Jewish, and therefore you're born with this heritage. It shouldn't become a point of boasting among non-Jewish peoples. For when we look at what matters most in the economy of in the scope of salvation history, how that what is required of a man as he approaches the throne of God, what does God require of a man in order to be counted as righteous, what is necessary to be brought into the uh, family group of God to be to be counted as genuinely saved in God's eyes, right? God is the one who's doing the judging. God is the one who gets to have the final say in the matter. What does God consider the single most important ingredient when it comes to being brought into uh, into the saving family that he himself recognizes? What is that ingredient? Well, it's not your ethnicity. It's your faith in his son. Uh, it's like one pastor said, when, when you get to heaven one day, God's not going to ask whether or not you were Jewish. He's going to ask whether or not you were righteous. And righteousness is tied to the man from Galilee that we mentioned in my previous paragraph there. Your righteousness is tied to Messiah. It's not tied to your ethnicity, at least from a forensic perspective, at least from the, the eternal perspective, the, the one that's going to matter the most because it's the only one that carries over into the uh, eternal sphere, into the age to come. Um, for indeed, if all you have is your earthly ethnicity, no matter which country you um, hail from, no matter what people group you descend from, if that's all you have to offer before God, well then on judgment day, 
when you after after you die and you stand before the throne and God judges you and to decide whether or not he lets you into his kingdom or not if all you have to offer is your earthly ethnicity then I'm sorry to disappoint you Paul would say you're not going to make it in your ethnicity is not going to carry you over into um the eternal plans of God. So that's what Paul's trying to get his his readers to understand when he says neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Let's read my comments and you'll you'll see how I, I uh, flesh this out. Paul now repeats what he stated earlier in 5.6. Let's look at that real quick before I go further. Uh, let me turn to the ESV version and turn to chapter uh, 5 here. And uh, we saw, we studied this several weeks back how that in uh, Galatians 5, 6, Paul says, quote, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And now he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So it's nearly word for word. The only difference, or the main difference, is the final clause, but a new creation. So if you look at my notes, you'll see that there's a third place that Paul actually uses a similar phraseology, and that's in 1 Corinthians 7.19. And um, there, if, I, if I'll if i just kind of quote it from memory, he says, for, for um, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. So there again, the first clause of these two clauses, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, that first part is kind of the same in all three versions, in the, the two parts in Galatians and the one part in 1 Corinthians. But the last part changes. So in one verse, in the first part of Galatians, you have but only faith working through love is the last clause. In the second part of Galatians, he says, but a new creation. And in 1 Corinthians, he says, but keeping the commandments of God. So we could draw some clever parallels if we if we were to assume that all three first clauses kind of refer to the same thing of uh, Jewish ethnicity and non-Jewish ethnicity and, and things like that. Then we could draw kind of a parallel between the last three clauses and we could say that in Paul's mind... Faith working through love is tantamount to being a new creation, which is tantamount to keeping the commandments of God. You understand where I'm, my logic is? If I if I put three usages together in one bowl, we could draw some perhaps some inferences from the mind of Paul uh, as it as he developed this theology of what matters the most in in God's eyes is, and the things that seem to matter the most are. Um, uh, the, just the way he described it. Faith working through love, uh, being a new creation, and keeping the commandments of God. Those are the things that matter the most and uh, the things that get pushed uh, back in in level of importance, although not off the table altogether, I believe, is circumcision and uncircumcision. In other words, your ethnic identity, your, your cultural heritage, what people group you hail from, things like that. All right, so let's read my uh, commentary and see what I have to say about this. Paul now repeats what he stated earlier. Uh, you can see my notes uh, in five, not, 5, 6 above where I uh, fleshed that out some more. However, he changes the ending part of the phrase here to say that what counts is a new creation. The Greek says kainekatesis, a phrase which I believe carries the notion of a recently made form 
I believe this because I pulled this from the uh, the, uh, the the uh, TSBD, and you're going to see this in my footnote in a moment. Uh, this Greek phrase kine katesis uh, is a phrase which carries the notion of a recently made form, a fresh, a new kind of substance, unprecedented or unheard of. Look at footnote number 170. Those of you who are fond of doing word studies and looking up the original Greek, the Greek word uh, kine. Many of you know that the uh, Greek word for new. The, the the English word new is rendered from the Greek often has two choices of Greek that it can use either some um, some rel- word related to um, uh, uh, kine or uh, a word related to neos I'm sorry a word related to neos or a word related to um, um, Oh boy, I'm drawing a complete blank. What's the other word? Anyway, uh, I'll, I'll I'll probably remember here in a second. Um, a neos is is a kind of a word that's related to something that's brand new, recent. Uh, it 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 was it, it's new in time altogether, um, um, as opposed to the other Greek word that is that can be rendered new. Uh, but doesn't really necessarily mean um, new and kind or or something like that. So uh, you can look those up on, for yourself in Greek. Uh, and I don't think that there's always a strong contrast between the two words. Sometimes they're just synonymous. In other words, they can be used interchangeably. But what Paul's trying to I think emphasize here is that when he uses the word, when he opts for the kine version of the word new instead of the uh, the uh, the neos word, the the kain the can't those are the two words, the kainos and the neos. Um, I think what he's trying to refer to is this is a renewed creation. This is this is new in form. It's fresh. It's a new kind of substance. I think Paul's trying to emphasize the fact that the change that is 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 most important from God's perspective is the change that's on the inside. It's the change that's on the inside. Uh, that's why he calls it a new creation. And let me read my commentary, and this will make sense to you. That the man-made conversion ceremony of the proselyte that was present in Paul's day only, quote, washed the outside of the cup, but does nothing for the refuse on the inside, end quote. Of course, that's kind of a reference to, um, if you look at my footnote note number 171, it's a reference to Yeshua's words in Matthew 20 through 25 and 26, as well as his words out of Luke 11:39, where he was... Um, Yeshua himself was uh, judging. He was he was he was unmasking the the motives of some of the religious leaders of his day and showing how that uh, they they were external uh, commandment keeping only. There was really no heart change. They looked all fine on the outside. In other words, their 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 religious deeds were being paraded for all to see, and uh, they made sure that everyone noticed how. Uh, clean and polished and shiny, they looked on the outside. You know, look at me. Notice me uh, as a religious leader, as a, as a Torah observant person, etc., etc. But really, because God can see the heart, and because Yeshua is God Himself, He also saw through all of that. He saw that their heart was actually dark. It was cold. It was ugly, and it was it was dirty. And in that sense, uh, He described them as. Uh, cups that were polished on the outside, but they were full of refuse in the inside, right? So Paul, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, as I believe, given insight into the program of the Judaism of his day as well. In fact, Paul can speak from this personally because he knew what it was like to be a polished Jew on the outside. He knew what it was like to to have all of his ducks in a row, to have all his 
eyes dotted and his T's crossed as a as a as a Pharisaic Jew, as a card carrying Pharisaic Jew, right? Uh, he he. We know this because he he brags about that, or he. he Tells about uh, he tells us about that in one of his other books. Again, I think it's Philippians where he's talking about that. I think it's around Philippians chapter three or something like that. And uh, so he talks about how that you know he used to be this, you know. Uh, in fact, he describes it language using uh, from his perspective as an unbelieving Jew, unbelieving religious Jew, that he was actually righteous. He had actually attained kind of a perfection in that scope. And it was only until the Messiah had opened his eyes that he himself could also see the filthiness of his own heart as a, as a religious Jew. In other words, he began to realize that all of the religious um, deeds that he'd heaped up around himself, although they may have looked good to men from God's perspective, they didn't do anything to change the heart, which was the real issue. So let's keep reading my commentary. I think... Uh, that this is what Paul's talking about uh, uh, in this particular verse, where he talks about that circumcision and uncircumcision really just look on the outside. They focus on the outside. They, they're an external feature of what it means to 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 um, be uh, any given person in the world, you know, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. But when it comes to uh, the heart change, what matters most is being a new creation. Indeed, Paul knew that a conversion from one ethnicity to another without the heart change brought on only by the power of the Ruach Kodesh, the Holy Spirit. Without this heart change, uh, uh, let me read that sentence again. Um, without the heart change brought on only by the power of the, of the Ruach Kodesh, uh, the change in of ethnicity could never do anything to solve the dilemma of the sinful nature of man in his quest to be pleasing to God. And isn't that true of religions today? There are thousands of different religions that a person can choose from if they shop in the marketplace of religions. And it's only until the Spirit of God changes the heart of an individual that the change that is necessary takes place. Only God can do this work is what I believe uh, Paul would teach. There's only one way to be counted as genuinely righteous. And Paul himself has experienced that one single way. Yeshua said it best, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, this is a quite exclusive statement that Yeshua can make, no man comes to the Father except through me. Therefore, since Paul is now a believing Jew, he can recognize that and, and explain to his fellow contemporaries that being Jewish is wonderful. Right? You can hear me clapping. It's a good thing to be Jewish, but it's not the end-all be-all. It's not the solution to the heart problem. If you want to solve the heart issue, you've got to surrender to the Son of God himself. Surrender to the Son of God, and he'll change your heart. We read this in our liturgy several times weeks ago, the Ezekiel 36 passage, where Ezekiel prophesies that one day, corporate Israel would have to have a heart transplant. Why? Because she had a heart of stone. The heart of stone is the problem. And the solution is God's heart transplant done by the power of the Spirit, in which he takes out the stony heart, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. And it's this heart of flesh on which God can write his own very words, right? The words that get written. And the result is that the fruit of the Spirit that we read about also in this chapter, the fruit of the Spirit can then be manifest in the life of 
a new child of God, right? The new per, the person who's been born from above, to use Yeshua's word, to, uh, to use Yeshua's words. The person who's undergone the heart transplant, not necessarily the person who's undergone some change in their ethnicity. It's the heart transplant that's what brings about the change that is necessary to be counted as genuinely righteous in God's family. Omain, Omain, Omain. Let's keep reading in my commentary and finish it. So, think about what the prevailing Judaisms of Paul's day were offering to the proselyte prospect. Here it is. Basically, they were offering a chance to begin a new life as a Jew, as a genuine member of Israel, as a citizen of the society of those especially chosen to carry and proclaim Torah as God's true word. Okay, This was the, the life of a religious Jew in Paul's day. And Paul knew all, he knew this from first hand, that this was the, the advantage that, that the, the, the prevailing Judaisms of his day viewed themselves in. They viewed themselves as the elect, that they were in this position, that God had, had singled them out from all the other nations of the world. And indeed, God speaks through the prophets and, and explains to them that there are no other families that God entered into covenant relationship with, save the family of Abraham. So they really were the chosen few. They were the chosen people. To be sure, I go into saying in my notes, to be sure, Jewish identity in Paul's day was and is something to be proud of, and it, it still is today, right? I'm not mocking that reality here. I'm not. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I, I don't want anyone listening to my commentary, whether Jewish or not, to hear me saying that Jewish identity is worthless. Uh, far be it for me to say that. What I am trying to emphasize is that Jewish identity does not guarantee a person will have a right heart before God and before his fellow man. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, to borrow a lesson from the book of Hebrews, we're near the top of page 180 now in my notes. To borrow a, a lesson from the book of Hebrews, I say, the entire sacrificial system of, of old that we read about in the Torah, Leviticus, uh, the book of Leviticus specifically, the entire sacrificial system with its priestly cult, this is what the writer of Hebrews explains to us. It was never designed to bring the worshiper to, quote, perfection, end quote, viz, a changed heart. Do you understand what I'm saying there? The entire sacrificial system was designed by God for a few differing purposes, but one of those purposes was not to actually cause a person who performed the sacrificial rites to cause a person to be uh, brought into a state of perfection. In other words, the, the merely keeping the sacrifices was not designed to result in the change of a heart uh, automatically as a person brought the sacrifices, that they placed their, their, their limited amount of trust in the, the atonement that the sacrifice offered for them of that day. And that's a very important point that the book of Hebrews brings out. I go on to say in my notes here, only true faith in the promised Messiah to come, of which, of course, we know the sacrifices foreshadowed. They were they, they pointed towards uh, the promised uh, sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice, being, of course, Messiah's death on the cross. It's only true faith in this eternal sacrifice um, that could move the heart of God to write the Torah of God on the heart of the individual. Of course, it's written on that softened heart, that heart of flesh. God cannot write his Torah on the stony heart. All right, It's when God um, uh, writes his 
when God does the heart transplant and writes his laws on the heart of the individual, that's what I say in my notes, thrusts this individual into the community of genuine and lasting covenant members as opposed to um, um, allowing him to exist in what we might call the earthly uh, covenant membership that uh, natural Israel enjoined as a people group. Do you understand the very important vital difference that I'm describing here for you tonight in my notes? And this is um, this is going to be fleshed out a little bit more when we talk about the 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 nature and the um, identity of Israel as a people group when we get to verse 16 and conclude my commentary. And I'm going to go a little bit slower when we get to verse 16 uh, next week and the week after because I really want you to understand. I think the importance of under of of of, of finding yourself uh, within this people group known as Israel. Uh, who are you in God's eyes? And how do you, as a Gentile believer or a Jewish believer, how do you fit in within the people group known as Israel? Or do you? Or do you? Right? There's a, there's a there'll be some um, some meaty uh, uh, discussion for the next two weeks. But let's finish my commentary tonight. I think we're right on time here. We're we're not even uh, over the hour yet, and I'm on the last paragraph. Hey, you see, I told you I can do it. All right, so my last paragraph says, Thus, Paul has to reiterate over and over again in his letters, uh, and he does this to both his Jewish audience as well as his, his Gentile audience, right? He has to stress this over and over again, and I think this is one of the key ingredients to understanding and unlocking some of the difficult sayings that Paul uses in his letters, because we have, we have to understand the intended audience that he's addressing, and we have to understand the, the, the social background that Paul is writing in in his first century worldview. He has to stress this over and over again, that being Jewish or being Gentile, that's that circumcision and uncircumcision all over again, being Jewish or Gentile is not the most important thing a person should be focusing on in this life. In fact, I encourage you to go back and read that 1 Corinthians uh, 7 passage and notice how that um, uh, uh, the, 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 the importance of what Paul's trying to get across there is one's station in life, uh, because he doesn't just pick on Jewish and Gentile. He also picks on male, female, slave, free, things like that, uh, married, unmarried. And he talks about how that, uh, don't let all of your life be, be, um, swallowed up by your station in life, right? If you're married, don't, Focus all of your energy on 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 wishing you were single again, and then reverse is true. If you're if you're unmarried, don't focus all of your energy as a believer on on finding your spouse. Um, don't don't focus all your energy on trying to change your station in life as if that will they'll add uh, uh, something to your life that you didn't have. Okay, don't 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 get caught up in all of that. Paul would say, and it's within a, it, it's within that context that he can talk about Jewish and Gentile um, ethnicities. Okay, so. I say in my notes here, we need to get our priorities straight and begin to see our heart situation from God's perspective. It's the heart that 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 drives really most of our actions, right? As the and a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I believe the verse says, and out of the out of the out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. There's two different verses there that kind of tie together. Uh, uh, the way a man thinks in his heart, that's the way he is. That's the, that's those are the actions that he'll take, and the, uh, the out of whatever is treasured in your heart, that's what your mouth is going to speak of. Um, God places a lot of importance on the heart 
of an individual is the, the point I'm trying to stress here. Much of this is Christianity 101, but um, it's, a, it's, it's worth mentioning once again uh, as we're drawing our commentary to a close that uh, it's too easy to get caught up in externals. It's too easy to, to think that what's most important is my economic status or my social status or my marital status or my, my, my ethnic status or, or something to that effect. And, and, you know, on Judgment Day, all of that's going to be washed away. That's going to be the wood, hay, stubble. What's going to matter most is, did you have a heart for God and his Messiah and a heart for God's people? Did you uh, faithfully follow God's words to the best of your ability as, as empowered by the, the Holy Spirit himself? Did you um, um, continually avail yourself of being filled with the Spirit so that you can turn away from sin and be pleasing to God? Uh, those are the things that are going to matter the most uh, when when you meet God face to face one day, okay? So I go on to say in my notes, membership into earthly Israel, and we're going to flesh more of this out next week. So this is just a short teaser as we as we kind of look forward to next week's the next two weeks studies. Membership into earthly Israel, Paul would would agree, um, only gained one a temporal place among the people of God, a membership that effectively expired. The moment one died. Do you ever think about that for a moment? The program that the influencers were offering, the message that they were offering to their Gentile uh, proselyte prospects, was a membership that Paul um, would agree carried with it some earthly advantages, but but once those people died, unless they had um, actually acquired genuine faith in Messiah, then once they died, that's it. All of those earthly uh, uh, advantages or uh, all of that blessing that they uh, thought that they were gaining by becoming Jewish, all of that was done away with. It didn't carry over into the age to come. It didn't carry over into the eternal scope. So Paul wants them to understand that membership in Israel only gained one a temporal place among the people of God, a membership that effectively expired a moment one died. By comparison... As I draw my commentary to a close, if one desired to graduate or matriculate to, say, an eternal place among people of God, <clears throat> a membership that carries over past death, past the grave, then one must, and I have underlined the word must there in my notes, one must be found in Messiah. It's that exclusivity that you should talked about again. One must be found in Messiah, and it is to this theme right of of the sufficiency of 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 becoming a people of God that 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 God himself recognizes right and the whatever label that 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 is carried with that it's to this theme that Paul's going to return to over and over again in his letters and it's to that theme that I'm going to turn to in, in the final two weeks of my uh Galatians notes here so i hope you guys are following along with what i'm saying here um uh, it's interesting. Let me just mention one last thing real quick, and then we'll we'll probably bring the commentary to close since I'm right at the hour here. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 15 again, where, where Paul says, "For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation." And if we if we compare it from those other two references, the the, the other one in in uh, Galatians here, uh, Galatians 5 6, as well as his Corinthians passage. If we suppose that he's simply referring to physical circumcision as it refers to, say, Torah observance, like many Christian commentaries and sermons uh, believe that Paul's referring to, in other words, if we remove the ethnic ingredient from this term circumcision, 
You understand what I mean by that? Um, in other words, the prevailing Christian view of Paul's letters is that Paul is preaching against a works righteousness, a works and merit theology, a system of, of righteousness that is tied into what a person does, how much Torah a person keeps, or how many righteous deeds a person can do to amass uh, a, a righteous status in God's eyes. And many com- Christian commentaries believe that Paul uh, used to be that type of meritorious Jew where he believed that uh, his salvation was tied to his doing the Torah. And that uh, it's only after Paul became a believer in Jesus that he was able to realize that it's not doing the Torah that makes you saved. It's actually believing faith in Messiah that, that saves a person. And therefore, within this new perspective as a believer, Paul can do an about faith and look at Torah observance and, and toss it out. He can throw it out the window because it's worthless. Merit uh, theology is has been effectively um, uh, disproven by Paul. It's in other words, it's been it's been proven to be a false uh, system, and in that in that hermeneutic principle that's, that that kind of drives most Christian commentaries today, the 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 bulk of Christian commentaries that you read at Christian bookstores and that you hear when you listen to Christian sermons, in that hermeneutic uh, viewpoint of Paul's letters, by believing that Paul's speaking against mere Torah observance for Jew or Gentile alike without the without the ethnic ingredient kind of thrown in there the way I'm um, highlighting it without the the maybe the the, the fact that uh, there's more to it than just um, mere commandment keeping um, if we were to read this verse that way where Paul says for neither circumcision counts for anything if we were to translate this phrase circumcision into say commandment keeping the way many Christian commentators are kind of thinking, again, again, supposing that the, the, the book of Galatians is, is written with, then then what we would basically have Paul saying is, is this absurd, listen to my absurd interpretation. For neither keeping the commandments counts for anything, nor not keeping the commandments, but a new creation. Okay, let's, let's plug that into the other two, uh, uh, vers- the other two um, passages as well and see if that makes any sense. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither keeping the commandments nor not keeping the commandments, because uh, whatever these words are, they are they are opposites of one another, right? So we have to spin our translation also in interpretation as into the opposite. Neither keeping the commandments nor not keeping the commandments counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Well, that doesn't sound like Paul either. That sounds rather um, rather unusual for Paul to say that. And then, of course, if we plug it into 615, um, that also sounds rather strange. But particularly when we get to, let me um, bring up another tab and just bring up uh, 1 Corinthians 17 for you, for you real quick. Paul says, uh, "For neither, let's, let's, let's plug in a translation that thinks that this means Torah observance again. For neither keeping the Torah counts for anything, nor not keeping the commandments, or not keeping Torah counts or anything, but keeping the commandments of God. Well, now that turns Paul into a schizophrenic. His words, his his words are gobbledygook. They, they mean nothing, right? You understand how that uh, just plugging. If if we just interpret circumcision and uncircumcision as keeping the commandments or not keeping the commandments, particularly when we get to verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 7, this really falls apart. So this is why I think that this phrase works of the law, as is defined by traditional Christian theology as just meaning mere commandment keeping 
or uh, in other words, it doesn't really highlight whether a person is Jewish or, or Gentile. It just focuses on um, a set of rules that a person's trying to uphold in order to be counted as righteous, viz. saved. If we just spin works of law in that fashion, then works of law becomes a um, becomes a, uh, a parallel to this phrase circumcision in Paul. And then if circumcision simply means keeping the commandment known as circumcision, then what we Paul have Paul saying is that for neither keeping the Torah nor not keeping the Torah counts for anything, but what matters is keeping the Torah or keeping the. In other words, it's it's a nonsense. But if we turn it instead, if we work from this word circumcision, and work into it the ethnic uh, identity um, possibility, that's uh, in my opinion a very strong possibility, a probability, and in fact I think. Uh, a workable uh, uh, position to to go with when we're reading through Paul's letters, that this word circumcision had had uh, gained a religious meaning rather than just a, a purely sociological meaning. Um, it turned into a religious meaning, meaning a religious Jew or a person who was a Jew. And that's, in, in other words, it was an ethnic marker. Then we can have Paul saying, for neither Jewish identity counts for anything, nor non-Jewish identity or Gentile identity counts for anything. But what matters for both groups whether you're Jewish or not, is keeping the commandments of God. In other words, what matters most is keeping the commandments of God. Notice the last clause applies to both groups. What matters the most, I'm filling in the word, I'm filling in a, a part that Paul didn't put, but, but but is obviously understood from the context. What does matter, or what does count for something, if I could use Paul's language, is keeping the commandments of God for both groups. That's the logic that he's trying to put forth. Now let's take that understanding and go backwards uh, into the other two um, uh, references. In Galatians 5, he says, For in Christ Jesus neither being Jewish nor being Gentile counts for anything, but what does count for something for both people groups is faith working through love. That seems to fit the overall message of Paul's letter to the book of Galatians. And then lastly, when we look at our verse uh, here from tonight's study, for neither being Jewish counts for anything, nor not being Jewish, i.e. Gentile, counts for anything, but what does count for something for both groups, for both Jew and Gentile, is a new creation. And again, that fits the context of not only Paul's letter to the book of Galatians, and Romans, but uh, more importantly, the book of Ephesians, where Paul talks about uh, how that you were former Gentiles and now you're a new creation. You've been brought into the uh, commonwealth of Israel and things like that. All right, we'll look more at that next week, but for now, uh, let me close our commentary for tonight. And I, wow, I did really good. I only went like eight minutes over the hour. Um, Got to pat myself on the back for that one. I really did want to go into this um idea of whether or not the Judaisms of Paul's day as well as today still hold this notion that the Torah is for Jews only. Uh, I'll leave you with this little bit of homework. Uh, do yourself this this uh, interesting search sometime. Go to Google and type in the phrase something similar to this. Type in the phrase, may a Jew teach Torah to a Gentile? And I typed this phrase in, and I've got it pulled up for those of you on my screen, and I'll close with this. I typed this phrase in, and I bring up, you, you end up with some studies from different uh, Jewish websites. What you'll do is you'll, you'll end up getting the, the viewpoints of many religious Jews. May a Jew teach Torah to a Gentile. And I think you're going to find that the results are somewhat surprising. Um, uh, and maybe we'll look at that at the beginning of next week. 
Okay, well, that'll do it for tonight. Let's close with a word of prayer. And um, for those of you who are with me in the live study, I don't think I'm going to have time to uh, chat with you tonight since I've got another uh, engagement that I need to, another uh, commitment that I need to look to. So uh, we'll we'll draw the study to a close, close in prayer, and then I'll uh, I'll actually just close down Skype for tonight. And we'll pick up our study next week uh, with the Galatians 6.16. Let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name and thank you for the study. I thank you for the book of Galatians and I thank you for the importance of Paul's letters as they bear relevance for us as a community of called out ones in this world today of both Jews and Gentiles who bear the name of our Messiah, Yeshua. We bear his name proudly, unashamedly. We know that it's going to bring persecution. We know that it's going to bring confusion. We know that it's going to cause us to um, uh, appear as those who... uh, seem like we have the exclusive view on righteousness and truth and lord we know that it's also going to draw the attack of the adversary but for we don't care lord we ask that you would strengthen us all the more as we bear your name as we uh, suffer the shame that you suffered as we uh, count it a privilege to be uh, worthy of, of suffering for the messiah of, Christ, of of for the messiah and for the cross of Christ and we know lord that um there are a great number of things that we as followers could boast about in our life uh our accomplishments our achievements our position at work our 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 status uh in the community uh our 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 um ethnicity uh or or our knowledge of 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 the bible or, or any other thing our economic status but lord far be it from us to boast about those things like paul says let us only boast in the cross of our Messiah. Let us boast about the fact that that regardless of all of those other things, that he has washed us of our sins and that he has forgiven us and that he has cleansed us and that he has set us on a sure footing and that he has filled us with the Spirit and that he is causing us to walk into his ways so that we can be called righteous. Thank you, Lord, that this is the position that matters most. And thank you that we are, um, uh, that we are being strengthened uh, to, to be lights and to and uh to those around us that we have been given this this responsibility of taking this good news to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Thank you for this awesome responsibility. Continue to to raise us up and to protect us and to heal us and to um forgive us where we fall short. We'll be careful, Lord, to give the praise and the glory in Yeshua's name. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. 
For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. 